My guest today had a nomadic upbringing with a father working in social development. He moved from town to town across Australia. It certainly gave him a broad perspective on Australia and different ways of life, but it was his experience in the small town of Broken Hill that had the most impact. Broken Hill's the namesake of the global mining company we all know, BHP. And when he lived there, the company was not only the main employer, but it also shaped the town physically. You see, there was a pile of mine waste. They call it slag, right in the middle of town. My guest today is Adam Verway. He's the founder and director of Future Super. But in his younger years, he couldn't shake the frustration about the impact mining was having on Australia. Then, when he got to uni and he got a job, he was also put into a default super fund. And then he did something that not many people do. He actually looked into the companies the super fund was investing in. And there it was, top of the list, BHP. And so began his mission to find another way to build an investment fund that not only steers clear of the fossil fuel industry, but one which supports the companies that are coming up with solutions in renewable energy and in a whole range of sectors focused on sustainability as much as strong financial returns. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the future of sustainable business, the new economy, and how your investing decisions, no matter how big or small, can have an impact. Adam had some great insights about the Australian superannuation system. We dug into the importance of investment managers, including a focus on sustainability, climate change and environmental factors in their analysis. And it's not just for ethical reasons. It's also simply good risk management. And it's at the heart of long-term thinking. And when it comes to funding our retirement, long-term thinking is pretty damn important. We discussed about why superannuation is such a hard issue to talk about people's eyes tend to glaze over at the subject, which is odd because it's their money and it's being invested to support their future. But now, more than ever, there's lots of options and Adam and his team are thinking deeply about how to shake things up. I enjoyed this one and I hope you do too. If you want more info, head over to the podcast website at johntreadgold.com slash goodfuturepodcast. Plus, you also find a listener survey over there on the website It's still live. It came out of the discussion I had with Georgina Camp on last week's show. And if you have a few minutes to answer a few simple questions, I'd love to hear from you guys about what you like on the show, what topics you're keen to hear about, and maybe even find out what impact the show is having. So jump on and have a look. All right, enough out of me. Let's dive into my chat with Adam Verway. Here we go. Adam, great to have you here at Hub Australia in Sydney. Thanks for coming. Great. Thanks for having me. We're talking about superannuation today. And, you know, we've talked so much about sustainability and the issues and and how it interacts with investing. But Australia is unique in that we have this compulsory superannuation scheme. But the big question is, why are so few people, why do they pay so little attention to their super? What's the psychology there? So I think that there's a few things. Uh, One is that this is money you access in the future. And it's really easy not to think about things that happen (laughs) in the future. So even though uh, the amount of money in people's superannuation account is building up at sort of 9.5% of their salary uh, every time they get paid, because you can't access that money, I think it doesn't feel very real. Uh, So 
it's hard for people to think about it as something that they own. Uh, so I think at an individual level, that's, that's part of it. But I think it's also that our superannuation funds have done a very bad job at engaging with members. And the industry is just built around default. It's built around superannuation funds convincing a middleman or a middlewoman uh, at a company or an organisation to uh, have everybody in that organisation default into their superannuation fund. The decision is made by that middle person, not by the hundreds of people or potentially thousands of people that work in that organisation. There's not much of an incentive for super funds to engage with the general community. And when super funds do choose to engage with the community, it tends to be about things that are not very interesting to people. Super funds would sort of make you think that fees are the most interesting things about super, but it's not. There was research from the Australia Institute a few years ago that showed that what was most interesting to people at superannuation was what our super funds were doing with the $2.7 trillion of funds they were managing and what sort of world they were creating with that. And the things they wanted their super funds to engage with them about in particular was around the ethics and how they're keeping corporations to account, that sort of thing. If people were more engaged in their super funds, a heck of a lot more people would switch super funds than what they currently do. Uh, and the core reason for that would just be around the ethics of where they're choosing to invest or not to invest their money. And that's really a, a sort of competitive advantage for you guys. It's that focus on, on uh, the ethics behind your choice of investment, sustainability, these sorts of things, is that by its very nature sort of mean that your members are more engaged, they've made that choice? Yeah, uh, so one is they've made an active decision. So most people have not made any decision around their superannuation fund. They've just gone to where their employer has chosen for them to, to go. So our members have all made an active decision and that active decision is really an extension of all the things they're doing in their life. For people who join Future Super, Generally, they're making ethical purchasing decisions. They're switching their, their banking to a fossil-free bank. They're switching their energy to a renewable energy provider. A lot of them are active in their communities around the ethical issue that's really important to them, whether it be climate change, refugees, uh, whatever it is. And probably right at this moment, a lot of them are talking to their friends and family a lot about uh, how they should vote at the upcoming election as well. And so for our members, joining Future Super and joining an ethical super fund is an extension of all the values and politics that they have in their life. So, of course, they're really, really engaged in it. And it's something that we encourage as well. So uh, whenever somebody joins Future Super, we phone them up, obviously make sure they've got their account set up the way they want it, but also just find out more about them, find out why they joined, find out what ethical issues are really important to them. And also, how do they want us to engage in those issues as well? Would they like us to do more around climate change? Would they like us to do more around gender equity? Those sorts of things as well. And I think it's really interesting for people to have a super fund ask them about things like that. It's really unexpected compared to what you might get from the traditional superannuation funds. And also, interestingly, we sort of tested the level of engagement of our members over the years as well. Even really early on, when we just got up to about 2,000 members, we thought, well, let's try and do something exciting. It's really engaging for our members. And we thought, well, what we could do is let's buy an ad in one of the weekend papers and write a message to the fossil fuel industry on behalf of all of our 2,000 members at that time and saying, on behalf of all of us, we're out. We've removed all of our money from fossil fuels and this is a message to you that we don't support your industry. The full page ads in the, in the weekend papers at the time were a bit expensive <laughs> for us so uh, uh, at that time. So we could only get a distress rate and so we got a distress rate at the end, which meant we only had about 24 hours to, to put together the artwork. So we sent out a message to our, our uh, an email to our, our members saying, look, we're going to send this artwork in in 24 hours. Let us know within the next few hours whether you want your name and suburb and everything else attached uh, to this letter. 
And we thought, well, maybe we'll get a few hundred of our 2,000 members uh, respond. And actually, we had 1,600 of our 2,000 members respond in a couple of hours saying, we want on this ad, we want our name on it, to the point where we could only do first initial, last name, super small fonts, <laughs> just to fit uh, everybody on there. So it was sort of an example of that, like our members were just super engaged, like they didn't even need to think about being involved in something like that. And we've also tried to make our fund more engaging in other ways as well, particularly opening up the assets we're investing into them. So whenever we invest in, in solar farms and wind farms, giving our members opportunities to visit those places and know that their money is what's uh, either helped create or they own some of that. And, and our members just pack out those tours of those solar farms and wind farms in no time. Sometimes they sit around solar farms for hours. You know, there's not much that happens at a solar farm. <laughs> you know, the, the solar panels kind of just sit in the paddock and slightly tilt as the sun moves, but not a lot else is happening, but our members love it. They love being out there and, and, and being amongst something that they, that they own. I mean, we're flooded by content these days. I buy a pair of shoes, I'm getting emails every week, but my super fund, maybe one a year, right? So do you guys have a different structure there? Is there, you know, do you have sort of a different content structure? Like, are you trying to ask those questions more often? I think the important thing for us is to not just have one-way communication. We want to be speaking with our members and telling them about the things we're doing and what their money's doing, but equally we want them to tell us what they want us to be doing as well and to be really engaged in, in actions we're taking. But also we care about all the same things as our members. We care about action on climate change. We care about treating people fairly. So let's find opportunities to work together with our members to help create better change on those things. And that change comes about not just by us telling them once a year what their money's done in an annual statement. It comes from having a constant conversation with them about how we can work together to make that change. And I think people increasingly are going to expect that level of engagement from their super funds, which will be really tricky when super funds have had a long time of just having a one-off letter sent out each year as their their major form of engagement and interaction with their membership. Well, that's it. And that's the trade-offs with scale. You know, the benefits of being smaller, that you can do that. And when you're bigger, you have cost benefits. But obviously, I guess engagement is, is one issue. But, you know, you've talked a little bit about the sustainability approach and the focus on renewable energy and these sorts of things. Can you tell us more about the, the future supermodel? A good place to start is in, in terms of what our ethical investment philosophy is, because I think that's core to, to who we are. And now ethical investment philosophy has three core things. One is it's important to protect our members' retirement savings from the stranded asset risk of fossil fuels. So as the world uh, moves to take action on climate change, we know that fossil fuel companies can't extract or burn all of the fossil fuels that are on their books. And we just think it's important that our members' money is protected to the extent that we can protect it from that risk. And for us, that means being 100% fossil fuel free. And still today, we're the only Superfund, which is 100% fossil fuel free. Some others are close, but we're the only ones who've gone to that extent. And for us, it also means not investing our members' money into companies and activities that are significantly exposed to fossil fuels as well. If a bank is providing significant lending to the fossil fuel industry, as an example, then we don't want to have our members' funds invested in that as well. The second part of investment philosophy is that we just believe that companies with superior uh, environmental, social and governance performance just perform better over the long term and provide that outperformance at a lower level of risk. And I think there's been a lot of research over the years to, to prove that. I don't think that's necessarily a unique philosophy to us, but it's core to, to sort of how we choose to invest. And one of the ways we uh, choose to apply that differently to other ethical investment managers is by taking a more rules-based approach to our listed and li- liquid investments. So if we have a philosophy that 
companies with superior ESG performance do better, then we want to be invested as broadly across that universe of ethical investments as we can to ensure that we're capturing that outperformance. We think that trying to stock pick within that universe is just adding the risk that you're not going to capture that outperformance. So I think that's, that's a sort of a big difference between us and sort of more traditional ethical fund managers who are stock pickers. And the third one is, and you sort of alluded to this before, which is, you know, we're a different size to a lot of super funds. You know, Australian super has over $100 billion. We have $500 million at the moment. Uh, so there are things that Australian super can invest in that we can't just because they have a lot more money. Equally, there are things we can invest in that they can't because some of the deals we might be looking at that are between, say, $2 million or $10 million deals that could provide a really great return are just not worth the effort for a big fund like Australian super to invest into. So equally, they can get great returns from some of the things they can access based on their sites. There's some really great things we can invest in based on what we can access due to our size. And so that's where we choose to focus. And a lot of those things are in illiquid assets, uh, particularly around renewable energy. We just think there's a lot of great returns to be made for our members investing in re renewable energy deals that are sort of between that two and $10 million size. And we think our members are sort of a great that they can benefit from that. Yeah, most interesting there is you're talking about your ethical philosophy there, but so much of it is about risk. And I think that's what gets lost, that nowadays this isn't as much. Sure, there's an ethical layer to it, but really there is this standard um, stranded asset risks. It's very real. And if you're not recognising and not factoring in climate risk into your, um, you know, your analysis, then you're leaving yourself really exposed. I guess I'd just go back and just wonder, I know there are some you know, sustainable funds that have a small shareholding in fossil fuel companies that they can engage? Do you ever, find, you know, have any uh, interest in sort of having that angle that you can then influence rather than simply divesting or not investing at all? Yeah, so we do, uh, we also do engagement, but we don't choose to invest in companies who have activities that our members wouldn't support just so that we can do the engagement. Mm. I just think that's not what our members want. I think of our members... Uh, don't want to support the fossil fuel industry, then they don't want to support it outright. To accept some exposure to it in exchange for being able to pick up the phone and, and talk to somebody at that company is just not what our membership uh, is interested in. But we do engage with companies uh, that we do invest in. I think that's something that people should expect from their super funds to do. Sure. Can you tell us a bit about the um, asset class selection and, you know, the way you use ethical screens? And is there some impact investing there? Is there anything private, those sorts of things? Yeah, so all, all of our investment options are diversified across all asset classes. So people should expect that what we invest in is, a, is an ethical super fund that is across the same asset classes as a non-ethical uh, super fund would invest in. So we're across Australian shares, global shares, all sorts of fixed interest, debt, infrastructure, cash. So we're invested across all of those. We apply the same ethical screens across every single asset class, but I guess those screens are applied in slightly different ways. So when you're looking at something like shares, where there's a very large universe of companies to look at, we sort of take a, a traditional screening process that's very rules-based, looking at, well, is that company earning revenues from activities that we would like to exclude from our universe? If they are, then they're just excluded. Whereas on some of our impact investment side and on our illiquid assets, we're taking a much more detailed look at their activities uh, and we're also taking a lot more financial analysis into account there as well. So usually on liquid investments, uh, taking that strict rules-based approach and then taking a really active management approach on, on the liquid fixed interest uh, and infrastructure side. Okay, good stuff. So certainly 
across the financial side of it. And I just wonder, you know, getting a little bit more personal, how did you find yourself here at this intersection of, of investing and sustainability? For me, it started well, well before I could understand what investment was. When I was younger, my dad's job was he travelled around to areas doing economic development. So generally, we, we moved around our back South Australia and our back New South Wales, going into places that had been really great once, but due to various reasons, particularly around industry downturns, had you know high unemployment or just social problems. And, and my dad's job was to, to go in and, and try and find ways to make those places a bit better, try and provide a bit more economic activity in those places as well. And in high school, we ended up in Broken Hill. Broken Hill is a, a, an interesting place to live. And one of the most interesting things about it is that right in the middle of town is this huge mine. Right on the main street, you know, you could be sitting down having a coffee and literally 50 metres away is a huge pile of slag and tailings uh, built up into a, a big hill. Uh, right in the middle of town. So if you've ever been to Broken Hill, it's a, you, you know, obviously you can't miss it. <laughs> uh, but this huge pile of uh, tailings in the middle of town is full of lead. And that has an enormous health impact on people who grow up in Broken Hill. Lead has a really awful impact on the development of children's brains and their learning abilities and their abilities to be really successful later in life. So it's actually a really awful thing to have right in the middle of town and it's provided a lot of problems for people who are in Broken Hill. And the strange thing is when you live in Broken Hill, you're part of this mythology that this town was really important in terms of the wealth of Australia, the wealth of New South Wales, in terms of the resources that it provided. And you sort of think, well, yes, there's a lot of health problems, there's a lot of social issues that have come about from this mine, but it was for the common good, right? Like this was something that was great for everybody. And then when I was in sort of my later years of high school, I realised that the BH and BHP stood for Broken Hill Proprietary. Now, actually, this wasn't for the common good. Like some people, a few individuals got really, really rich out of uh, BHP and out of that mine. And it wasn't for the common good. It was for the wealth of a few individuals. And that just made me really angry. Like it made me angry that a lot of people got rich at the expense of the health of young people, at the cost of a lot of lives in those mines, and just had nowhere to direct this anger towards you sort of thing. Well, I'm just one kid in Broken Hill. What do I do with this, with this anger and this piece of information? And then, you know, I left Broken Hill. I went to university in Canberra. I got involved in, particularly in student activism, and it felt like a great outlet for this sort of unfairness that I'd felt as a result of my time in Broken Hill. And then while I was there, I was just looking into how our student organisation invested its money. I found out about ethical investment as a result. And then I looked in to see what my own superannuation was doing. And I didn't have much. I probably had a few hundred dollars sitting in a REST superannuation account. And at the top of the holdings list was BHP. BHP was the thing that my small amount of superannuation was invested in the most. Felt really angry about it. And equally, I had a solution. Like I could just move my few hundred dollars of superannuation uh, into an ethical fund. And, you know, it wasn't the end of BHP, but it certainly made me feel really good <laughs> about the decision I'd made. And then it also happened to be that the ethical investment fund I switched to had their head office directly across the road from the university I was at. And I moved pretty much straight from university into working at that company, which was Australian Ethical Investment, which was one of the first uh, ethical investment managers in Australia. And uh, I was there for 10 years, uh, which, was, uh, which was really great. And, and um, it was really good to see the amount of growth they had over that time. Towards the end of that 10 years I was there, approaching the 2013 federal election, I decided, well, it's been really great to be involved in ethical investment. I want to get 
out and do a lot more around action for climate change. And there was two things I decided to do in, in that particular year. One was I decided to get really heavily involved in the fossil fuel divestment movement. And in particular, I was travelling around on behalf of Australian Ethical to, to get people to, to understand that their money was invested in fossil fuels and they could make ethical uh, decisions around their super to, to change that. But the tough thing was that Australian Ethical was pretty good, but they weren't 100% fossil fuel free. And despite the fact a lot of people were joining from a divestment movement, they didn't change uh, their attitude to their investment in gas in particular. And the other thing I did was I put my hand up to be one of those Greens election candidates who worked really hard to try and get one of the Senate candidates elected. And in the ACT, that Senate candidate was, uh, was someone called Simon Shake, who had just finished up as the national director at GetUp. And he uh, chose to, to run in the ACT because that was one of the few Senate races in the country where a progressive candidate could take a Senate seat away from a conservative candidate, usually Conservative candidates take seats from other conservative candidates and progressives take seats from other progressives. And this was sort of a, a uniquely a really strategic race for him to be in. It was sort of an amazing year watching him come to the ACT and really energise the progressive community in Canberra around uh, that goal of replacing a conservative candidate there. And just amazing to see. The Greens there had you know, potentially just a couple of dozen volunteers at the start and had over a thousand people had volunteered by the end, we had community campaigners come from across Australia to, to try and work with Simon and and and, uh, and help him get elected. And it was just for me, just a really life-changing experience to see community organising like that. And then ultimately, he just missed out <laughs> by only only a, a few hundred votes. It was, it was it was very close. Following that election, we sort of thought, well, you know, if our motivations for running were around what's the biggest thing we can do on climate change, well, what's the next biggest thing? Uh, we could do and I sort of thought well wouldn't it be amazing if we could combine my background in ethical superannuation and your background in community organising and work together to help shift some of this 2.7 trillion dollars in superannuation to help be the catalyst for, for big change on climate change action in Australia you know turning off the tap to fossil fuels and turning on the tap to renewable energy and that sort of was very exciting for us and, and we decided that's where we're going to go and, and um we were lucky enough to, to find the right people to help us set up a super fund and, and Future Super got right up and running not too long afterwards. But I think one of the key things for us was we didn't want to just create another ethical fund. I think ethical funds are great at matching people's ethics with how they invest money. What we really wanted to do was set up a super fund where people were part of a movement and were part of a bigger community taking lots of actions together, not just an individual action. Whereas uh, years before I'd switched away from BHP in isolation, well, wouldn't it have been amazing if I'd done it as part of the community and made a really big impact on, on BHP and their social licence to operate. So that's sort of how we feel like Future Super is different to other, other ethical superannuation funds. Oh, look, thank you for that story. It's really interesting about the, the genesis at Broken Hill and, and having seen that firsthand and that it was, you know, quite formative when you were young. And I imagine, you know, that's something that's going on all over Australia. You know, there are so many towns that have what I think is a paradox. These people that live in these towns and they rely on it for employment and for keeping the town going. But at the same time, there's really local health issues, as you said, tailings, dams, emissions that are, that are right there, let alone the emissions that then come from burning what's being pulled out of the ground. Sure, there are positives, but it seems like there are so many negatives. Why do you think Australia still has this, is finding it so difficult to switch away 
from fossil fuels and we still have, you know, and our engagement with dealing with climate change is so slow. Do you have any sort of ideas there? The lobby groups on behalf of fossil fuel companies do an exceptional job in Australia. And I think, unfortunately, we also have a government that is supportive of the fossil fuel industry in a way that other governments around the world aren't. But I think that it's not a reflection of the amount of people who actually want to take action on climate change, for whom it's a really big issue. I mean, there's, there's survey after survey that shows that two-thirds of Australians want to take real action on climate change. That's a majority of us, and it's been that way for a long time. It just happens to be that up, up until this point, uh, the people who hold the power haven't taken the action yet. But the great thing is, through our decisions around superannuation, banking, who we choose to go with our energy, Individuals can take those actions that make those uh, powerful people make the change they need to, the structural change we need to, to our energy grid, to, to, to what industries we support. Yeah, definitely people power. Well, that's what we're all about, trying to, you know, sort of trying to dig into the philosophy there. But, you know, you and I, I think, are aligned in, in terms of wanting to make that shift. But at the same time, I have this sort of personal paradox and this contradiction, you know, I still love to fly internationally. I mean, there's no other way to do that. I drive a car, I put petrol in my car. My electricity... So at least a portion of it comes from coal power. I guess, how do you balance that contradiction where, sure, you've said, no, I don't want to invest in these things, but you still are a customer of them in some ways. How do you deal with that personally? Yeah, so the way I deal with it is that you can't live a pure lifestyle in, in those ways, but also that's actually not what's important. What's important is that uh, we make the big structural changes that create the world that we want to live in. The little things we can do, whether it's, you know, choosing to ride your bike to work one day instead of driving your car, things like that, they're all great and they all do make a little difference, but it's not the big structural change we need to avert dangerous climate change. The things we need to do there is to do the big things that change uh, where we get our energy from, in particular, and the amount of energy that we use. And the biggest impact we can have on that is taking away the social licence of those organisations to, to operate and to, to run the fossil fuel industry, uh, but also to turn off the tap to them, like turn off the money tap, make sure they don't have the funds required to expand their industry, make it tougher for them to operate. That's what's really going to make the difference. Having uh, LED lights in your house, riding your bike to work, great things to do, but in terms of making the big change that's required, that comes from making these big decisions like where you're choosing to invest your money, how you're choosing to vote in an election. Those are, the, those are the really big things that make those changes. Yeah, I mean, you know, system change is vital. But I just wonder, like, is it dangerous to use this super fund, you know, this nest egg? You're relying on it in retirement to sort of make what might be a political statement? No, so, so I guess one thing I'd say is that Future Super and also other ethical funds as well, they're making smart financial decisions and they're very confident uh, we're very confident in uh, our investment strategy that we're going to provide a really great return for our members in retirement so there's no additional risk there people are, are likely to end up with a return that's as good or better than what they can from other super funds by making a choice to come to us but I would also say that do you think it's dangerous not to extend your values and your politics into all parts of your life if you care about climate change well you know that climate change is really dangerous. And if super funds are choosing to continue to invest in fossil fuels, then they're making a, a political decision to make our climate more dangerous for us. For super funds making a decision to invest in poker machine companies, into tobacco companies, uh, into uh, companies that service asylum seeker detention centres, well, they're choosing to make a political decision to make life more dangerous for the most vulnerable people in our community. So I would say it's not a dangerous thing to 
extend your values and your politics into all aspects of your life, it's, it's a more dangerous thing not to do those things because uh, unless we change, you know, there's some really bad things on the way. Yeah, okay, great. I, I'm keen to dig into the, this question of scale. You talked about it a little bit before. It'd be, be great to go a bit deeper, just talking about the fact that Aussie Super, what are they, 100 billion plus? You guys, 500 million. What are some of the benefits of being small you know, versus large? And I guess you know, the major benefit of being large is reducing the, the fees that you charge every year. So you know, what are some of the benefits of being small, I guess? Uh, I mean, one of the benefits from being small is that, um, and as, as I mentioned earlier, there's opportunities for us to make investments that are really great in a range of, of a few million dollars that Australian super just can't look at. It's just not worth the cost of a due diligence on those assets when it might make up 0.00001% of their portfolio. But for us, it is worth doing a due diligence and our members can get access to things that are producing really great returns and that no other super fund is investing in. I think that's a really great benefit we can have. I also think there's just a benefit from being a bit more nimble and responsive and, and having the opportunity to, to be more directly, have a more direct relationship uh, with our members as well. But also like we aspire to be a bigger fund because we don't make the impact and the change we want to make unless we're a bigger fund. And we also don't make the change and impact uh, we want to have unless we're taking members away from other larger super funds and making them invest more like what we do. Because unless that happens, all we're doing is creating you know, a nice business and a great super fund, but we're not creating the impact that we want and that our members want us uh, to have on their behalf uh, as well. On the issue of fees, I think fees is something that's not well understood within superannuation. Fees are made a big deal about, but I'm not sure the average person knows what fees they're paying on their super or what's a fair fee to pay on their superannuation. So we have three investment options. One of them is 0.99% uh, per annum, which is lower than the average superannuation fund. If you were to look at the PDS for Host Plus, which is a very large superannuation fund and, and our PDS, that option is cheaper than Host Plus's default option. But I think the perception is that we're going to be more expensive because we're smaller, but that's just not uh, always the case. As well as having uh, that option that's lower fee, and in order to get that lower fee, it has to invest only in assets which are cheaper to access, liquid investments in particular, and taking a rules-based approach to all those different asset classes. And then we have other investment options which have a higher impact. So investing in more illiquid assets, infrastructure, things that cost a bit more to run, that have a sort of higher underlying costs, and therefore pass on a little bit of extra costs to our members as well. But in exchange for that, they're getting bigger impact, and they're usually getting a better return because those things that cost a bit more to invest in tend to also provide a better return and at a better level of risk than, than things that are cheap to invest in. And by far the majority of our members choose to invest for, for higher impact and higher return rather than investing for, for lower fees, which is not unexpected for us. That's how we expected people would make that choice because the impact uh, and returns are much more important to the average person than what fees are. But, you know, fees are really difficult because other superannuation funds have made fees the only thing to talk about. <laughs> mm. You know, when people are thinking about, you know, should I think about my super, they're thinking, well, the only thing I know to ask about is fees. When really, uh, if they were more engaged in super, if super funds were doing a better job of engaging, then they would know what are the other questions I should ask about. You know, where are you investing my money? What's your investment philosophy? How are you thinking about my values and ethics more broadly and in how you operate? That's, that's a far more engaging and interesting thing for people. Yeah, and then are you able to report that impact? Is there sort of some kind of impact measurement structure? I know it's very difficult with sort of public assets, but yeah, is yes. there a way you can do that? Uh, so we've just released our impact report for last year. 
So it's the first time that we've done a formal published uh, impact report. And so we report on a number of things. Obviously, there's a heap of different types of impacts you could report on because when you're investing in lots of different things, there's lots of different impacts you have. Uh, and we chose to report particularly around, you know, what are the engagements uh, and activism we're doing with the companies uh, that we invest in. We think it's important that our members know about what activism we're doing on their behalf. We're also talking about, you know, what are the renewable energy assets that we own and, and where are they and how much uh, energy are they producing? And we also looked at the underlying carbon that's in our investments. Uh, and one of the things that's been amazing that we've, we've, we've found is that the carbon footprint of, of our companies that we invest in is more than outweighed by the carbon saved by all the renewable energy projects we're directly investing in. So, you know, we have a more than decarbonised portfolio already. We thought we were pretty good on that scale. To find out that we're actually more than decarbonised was a really pleasant surprise. But it also shows that maybe some other super funds aren't being particularly ambitious in terms of the decarbonisation of their own portfolios. A lot of super funds have signed on to a pledge to be fully decarbonised by 2050. And we've already done it. And we didn't even realise we'd done it. <laughs> so it sort of says, well, maybe 2050 is not being ambitious at all in terms of that. And maybe super funds should uh, be trying a bit harder on some of those measures. Sure. And, you know, if you've already achieved that, what then is your sort of future ambition? I mean, one, we've got to change the superannuation industry. So we changed the superannuation industry by being a great fund that provides great returns to our members and one that uh, lots of people want to join. And we also change the industry by having lots of people talk with their feet, by moving across to us away from their funds that are not taking ethics into account and values into account in the way that they want to. It's by doing that that we sort of become the first domino that knocks over the rest of the superannuation industry. I think we're probably a bit unique in having a business model that says we want all the other super funds to start being like us <laughs> rather than wanting to retain our particular point of difference. Uh, so we want to change the super industry and we also want to change corporate Australia as well. We want to be a lot more active in terms of uh, how we're working with companies and maybe doing it a bit differently to how it's normally done. So usually engagement happens by, you know, going behind closed doors and talking behind closed doors and there's not much accountability around it. And I think uh, shareholder activism, shareholder engagement is far more compelling when you've got both sort of a stick and carrot approach to that both encouraging companies to do the right thing, but also punishing companies when they don't by either divesting, by putting a shareholder resolution, by using the other levers you have available to you to, to make uh, corporations do better. I mean, that makes me think about all of the opportunity that exists in Australia in renewable energy and these sorts of things. I mean, the uh, one example is solar power and how that's sort of growing and, and people talk about that being a really investable asset. Can you think, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there any one asset class that you think is really sort of underappreciated that you're just gobsmacked that, that isn't being seen? Is this really great opportunity going forward that maybe Australia has a, you know, a good leg up in? One thing that um, I think is not appreciated as much is that in the renewable energy space and in the solar space in particular, it's providing the debt to allow those uh, those new solar farms to be built, particularly these small and mid-scale solar farms to be built, is really important and providing really great returns. So I think that's sort of underappreciated. I think people understand owning solar farms or owning the companies that build solar panels, but they don't often think about the, the debt side. So I think that's uh, a bit underappreciated. And I also think it's underappreciated how much hard work our uh, solar farms in Australia are doing in order to keep our grid active. You know, there was uh, one of the solar farms we invest in in Swan Hill. It's not a particularly big solar farm, but we're the only super fund that's invested in it. When there was 
blackouts over, over summer this year. That solar farm kept the electricity, the lights on in that area. So when all the coal-fired power stations uh, stopped working, this little solar farm out in Swan Hill kept everything going. But also, by doing so, was earning an amazing price on the electricity it was producing. So not only did solar save the day, our members who were invested in that got an amazing return from, from that couple of days of uh, production of electricity. Okay, so that actually spikes the energy they pull in at that moment because of the huge um, lack of supply. They get the, I don't know, the per unit cost jumps up. Is that how the system yeah, works? Yeah, so, that, so in this particular case, that solar farm uh, was earning a market price rather than have, having a PPA on its energy. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, we won't get into the, uh, the energy <laughs> market because we'll be here for another hour. Look, that's great stuff. That's really interesting here about about how you guys operate and the options for people there. I'll let you go because you've, you've come up to Sydney. You're based in Canberra, but it's good to have you up here at the hub in Sydney. But before I go... I'd love to get a book recommendation off you. Is there anything on your on your side table you'd like to tell people about? So most of the reading I do, and which others uh, at Future Super do, is actually around reading books around startups and scaling business and how to run a great business. I just found that's been a really helpful thing for me to, to do. Uh, you know, when I was previously working as just a, a manager, I sort of didn't appreciate how hard it was to actually run a business yourself and, and to run a great organisation and just being able to take time to read about those things has been helpful. At the moment, I'm reading The Founder's Mentality, which I'm really enjoying uh, and sort of highlighting for me how much of the things I like, like being on the front line of our organisation uh, is really important, but also really important to successful organisations. But the book I found most helpful and which I know uh, another, others at Future Super found helpful is uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by uh, Ben Horowitz, just because, you know, a lot of the startup and scaling up books talk about sort of the more glamorous side of doing those things. But actually, there's a lot of really hard things that happen every day that you just don't think about and I think that book is just really good at covering off on those things so it's one that um, you sort of turn back to quite a bit whenever there's sort of this new challenge that comes up and you think well how do I how should I start thinking about this one yeah and I guess that's reframing it isn't it the reason it's hard is because it's hard if it was easy everybody would do it and it would no longer be you know a benefit or, or get you ahead like if you want to be a pioneer if you want to get ahead it's going to be hard because otherwise everyone would do it so yeah yeah, good stuff. Well, on that note, let's leave it there because I think that's a good philosophy and a good thing to think about. But yeah, really appreciate that and uh, hopefully we can have you back soon. Great. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers, Adam. Cheers.